everyone, and welcome back to We Watch Bad Films, the podcast where we watch bad films so you don't have to. And today is our Halloween spectacular. Oh. I am... <laughs> wow, that was Sorry. weird. I am <laughs> Gary, and with me is with that creepy sound is Jaw Dropping Jay. How are you, Jaw Dropping Jay? Uh, I am very well, Gary. Um, yeah, mm. I, I can't use that. Accent. Not sure if racist. Not sure. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> Good start to uh, the Halloween edition. Um, I'm just going to. Do... <laughs> I'm just going to talk in my usual accent. Um, I'm I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. A little bit scared, but that's okay. We'll get through it all together. <laughs> you should be scared. You've gone back to the racism. Um, what I decided to do is I put a call out on our Twitters and our Instagrams. You can follow us. We watch bad films on both. Asking what people's worst spooky films were. And I had a number of really good responses. Um, so one of them from at from page to screen. Here he states the fog remake. Ooh. Have you seen either the original or the or the remake? Well, there've been a couple of remakes, haven't there? But he means the most recent one from about ten uh, years ago or so. Uh, yeah, I've not seen. I've seen the original. The original is one of my faves. Um, I have not seen any of the remakes. I really don't want to sully myself. Um, yeah, I'm in the same boat. I've seen the original not for some time. I might add, but. I certainly haven't seen that remake, but I know it got a hell of a pasting when it came out. Well, I'm just... if Do you know what? I'm just going to say this right now, and this goes for any of the films that we watch, okay? If you're going to make a remake of a classic film, pull all your resources together and make a darn good film, because most of the remakes are a complete waste of time. Having said that, uh, the director of The Fog who is John Carpenter, he broke my rule and made a remake that was better than the original, and that was The Thing. The Thing is excellent. However, the irony is that was sort of remade again and made bad again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's like a, it, was like a, it was like a remake sandwich with sort of like yeah. a really good filling and the two bits of bread were awful. Yeah, yeah, and that sort of, I think it's, I've not seen it, but it's part remake, part prequel, I think, because everything's got to be a prequel these days. Well, um, they, want, mm. they always want to, like, um, capitalise on what was already released, but then sort of reboot it, so it's the same thing, but redone, but then, yeah, a prequel, yeah, blah, 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 R- nonsense is what I say the- there's a YouTube channel, The Critical Drinker, which you introduced me to, and he's got a really good teardown of the original and, well, sorry, the John Carpenter and the remade thing that's well worth a watch, exactly why it doesn't work. He's great, though. Right? He is great. Another uh, suggestion that came through on Twitter was from At The End Is Nice Show. It's Exorcist 3, which is a film we have watched not that long ago, but not on this podcast. The Exorcist 3, interesting. Yeah. I mean, mm. I would have said The Exorcist 2. <laughs> I would agree with you. I think Exorcist 2 is particularly poor. Um, I, I remember us really baffled by the whole thing. 
Um, it's like some sort of it, it's it's melodramatic, like some sort of Amdram, a local Amdram theatre company put it on. Um, yes. And I mean, but it's it's kind of it, I wouldn't call it scary. It's more like just mental. So <laughs> it's it's kind of like the equivalent of looking down a wind tunnel or something. There's just so much going on. There's the crazy sound effects, the crazy uh, imagery, but um, it's all just uh, a load of old rubbish, really, isn't it? Yes. Uh, Exorcist 3 was the one all about Kinderman, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm a fan of The Exorcist 3. I don't know if you've seen it, Gary, have you? I'm pretty sure we watched it together about a year ago. I mean... <laughs> You're showing me up here for my bad memory. I'm just going to say, yes, we did that. I mean, this whole year has been a complete write-off for me. I can't really remember what happened last year. But yeah, um, that's fair. I do know that there he, there's a re-edit that has, was released very recently, within the last year or so. And um, I'm very intrigued to watch that, um, which would have been yet again one of these stories where the original director, who was originally hired, made a film and then the producers or the studio said no don't like that and then sort of redid it and made a completely different film and that was the film that was released i think the exodus 3 is actually quite successful but i am really intrigued in, in to see this new uh recobbled together original footage um version which i think mark kermode had a hand in I think you might be right. Um, yeah, I think he tracked down some of the footage. I mean, it's Mark Kermode and The Exorcist. He probably owns every tiny <laughs> bit of film. Probably owns every 35 mil copy going. Yeah, I know. He probably has got every bit of film that was cut onto the floor and swept up and thrown in the bin. Um, yeah. yeah. And then we also have at squat underscore Betty. That's the genius Richard Sandling behind Richard Sandling's perfect movie. Well worth checking out. Um, he suggests the edge of hell rock and roll nightmare, which is not one I'm familiar with. Is that for you? Have you come across that? Uh, it sounds familiar. I think I've, I, 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 I recognize it's foul stench. Um, as soon as it was brought on board. Yeah. Uh, I think it, it may well be on, uh, some lists that I've been perusing over the last few months. Hmm. It's one I shall put on the list because if it comes recommended by him, I'm going to check it out and probably regret it. But <laughs> here we go. What's your worst spooky movie? Um, yeah. So I don't actually watch that many scary films these days. Um, I used to, I used to love them. Like all of the eighties, uh, um, franchises my favorite being nightmare on elm street i remember sitting up with my cousin when we were probably a little bit too young watching those late at night binge watching them oops never mind oh, this is a right passage isn't it really um yeah and some of those are actually good i would say number three the dream warrior numbered one uh good films um there's some stinkers in there i haven't seen them in a long time um but I would probably say uh, I was just watching the Red Letter Media a video that they just um, uploaded about uh, Friday the 13th. I've not seen all of those, um, but mm -hmm. I've seen a few. And I so I would say one of those, one of those Friday the 13th. I mean, they're pretty. Yeah, 
I, I hadn't seen them until about three years ago when the uh, PlayStation game and Xbox game got popular. And then I decided to watch all of them over about a month. Um, so they're all reasonably fresh in my mind. And I did, I had took no baggage with me whether, whether I liked them or not. Yeah. Quite a few of them are quite, quite boring. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> I want to say two and four or maybe yeah two and four i think were quite boring um which is i mean it's quite if you think about the premise of what friday the 13th is to make it boring is quite an achievement i don't know how i don't know how they do it a supernatural serial killer should not be boring that should not be the first word that springs to mind no, and, and for me, it's when they take it in a supernatural, campy direction, it finally sort of picks up a notch and gets a little bit more interesting. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you but what, that's just me. I would actually say, apart from The Exorcist 2, what I would say, and it's one that we watched, but we didn't, um, we haven't done a podcast chat about, it is Troll 2, 3. What? Now, it's, tr- it's Troll 2, because I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, oh, that's, that's a masterpiece. If you haven't seen Troll 2, try and find it. It is really, really bad. It is one of the um, best, worst films I've ever seen. And uh, I would definitely recommend people watch it. Um, I, I don't know if we will be able to do a podcast about Troll 2 because I was hyperventilating with laughter so uh-huh. much. It would just be gibberish. Um, I, I was the same. <laughs> I was the same. The scene when the boy chooses to spoil all the poison food by urinating all over it, I just... <laughs> such an odd choice. I couldn't get that one at all. It just didn't stop. It didn't stop. It was relentlessly hilarious and bizarre. Every scene. Yeah. And, of course, they're from the town Nilbog. Ooh, oh, which, yeah. if you didn't work it out, is goblin backwards. That's spooky, isn't it? Yeah. Very spooky. Yeah, indeed. I choose that too. So there were some good suggestions. If there were ones we didn't mention just there, please get in touch with us on Twitter and let us know what is the worst spooky, scary film you can watch around Halloween time. And speaking of which, to turn the tables, I've got one for you today, Jay. From 2005, Alone in the Dark. Ooh, don't know it. You don't know it. Okay, it's by much... mm, discussed director Uwe Boll he went on a run of producing very poorly received uh, films based on computer games okay. did a whole run of them oh no um, I mean you, so, all you have to say is computer game and it's already going to be shoddy yeah the, the track record is not good so back in 1992 a French company called Infogrames released this 3D adventure um arguably the first survival horror game of its type. Um, I remember installing it on the PC back then, and it was really something. It was atmospheric, um, and it's very much a precursor to the Resident Evil games. It, it precedes them. Um, you, there's a, a, a very much a fop character. Edward Carnaby is the main guy, and you go into a mansion and shenanigans ensue. It is actually ripe for a film, but probably not this one, I imagine. Um, you know, I don't want to disappoint you, but we are on a podcast called We Watch Bad Films. Um, but I don't think the odds are good. I've just found a quote about it 
um, a better title would have been Alone in, in the Theatre. Another quote I found for it was, you wonder why the distributor didn't release it straight to video, or better, release it straight to trash. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, can I tell you a couple of people that are in it that will whet your appetite? Sure. Christian Slater. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. That's all right. Yeah. But then remember in 2005, Tara Reid. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Yeah. It's the height of her. Mm, yeah. Not good times. Yeah. I don't think we should waste any more time. I think we should get on and watch it. You guys listen to a trailer and uh, we'll see you on the other side. So we've just finished up watching Alone in the Dark. And uh, Jay, what's your initial reactions after watching it? <laughs> Amazing. The best film I've ever seen. I'm sure you'll back me up on this, Gary. Uh, a masterpiece. Um, I don't think I ever need never see. I don't need to see a film ever again because this has been the most amazing cinematic. No, it was awful. <laughs> It was a load of utter, utter crap. And, uh, you know, I've seen, seen it. <laughs> I've seen some of the ratings online. It has a, a mighty 1% on Rotten Tomatoes. <sighs> Could it be like that? And my God, it earns every single piece of that percent. Yeah. Oof, that was rough. Yeah. Uh, whenever we start looking to see, the, looking at the time code, see how much time is left, that is a bad sign. And like every yeah. five, ten minutes, it's like, okay, half an hour to go, <laughs> seventeen minutes to go, Gary. We uh, we can do this. It's about an hour and forty long, and I started looking about half an hour in. How much was left? That's a really bad sign. But to be honest, I thought I would have to do this podcast on my own because I think you would either just sort of close your laptop and walk off or you'd fall into a coma and I'd have to pick up the slack. Oh so, dear. You know, I often start these reviews by running down the plot and um, I have got some notes and they just stopped at one point and I just pushed <laughs> my notes aside and I thought I just cannot give this any more attention. This stupid piece of crap. <laughs> I just <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll do a synopsis for the audience oh. who, who are trying I'd, their. I'd, I'd quite like to know what happened in this film. I got bored watching. 
Well, uh, I'll just I'll just read out what I've got in front of me. So, um, Edward Carnby, uh, who is played by Christian Slater Gang, um, who is about, about the only famous actor in this, uh, who actually doesn't do a bad job, is a detective of the paranormal. I don't know what that means, but uh, that's what he's called. Uh, he's investigating a mystery, the recent death of a friend, with clues leading to Shadow Island that brings him face to face with bizarre horrors that prove both psychologically disturbing and lethal as he discovers that evil demons worshipped by an ancient culture called the Abscani are planning on coming back to life in the 21st century to once again take over the world. I mean, there's loads of monsters, okay? He's... It, He's looking for this like abscanny crap, but really it's just him looking for these little bits of metal, a bit like sort of Indiana Jones sort of plot. He's looking for these lost bits of metal. They come together, they form a key to open this door, and the door opens this huge underground chamber of monsters. It's that's basically it. Yeah, I suppose that happened. They yeah. they call it a gateway to hell, but really it was just this black mm. ca- cave. It was a gateway to dark. Yeah. That much. But, and uh, this film uh, is uh, very dark. This film, Alone in the Dark, it was very, very dark. And I don't mean in an atmospheric, moody kind of dark. It was black. <laughs> I couldn't see yeah. a thing. Just let's grade it right down, because that means scary. And it yeah. also enables us to hide some really poor CGI. Yeah. Some of that CGI work was absolutely shocking. Um, I mean, it's 2005, sure, but that's still the same year as Revenge of the Sith. Now, admittedly, that's you know probably the most expensive film coming out that year. But I mean, they're only making one black monster and cloning it dozens of times, and it's a really shoddy model that looks really badly pasted onto it. In fact, the whole look of everything looked like a TV episode. You said at one point it looked like an episode of CSI. <laughs> oh, yeah, a really bad version of uh, 24. Um, yes, that very sort of mid-2000s spy aesthetic, spy cop show. Yeah, and it never rose above it. Um, oh, yeah. I cannot tell you how much I didn't care about what happened in this film. <laughs> yeah, I know. Couldn't give a toss. I was actually finding it quite amusing. Not really the film, but the fact that <laughs> you didn't give a toss about any of it. And that made me find it quite funny. Um, there were moments, there were probably about 30 or 40 minute chunks of the film where we were just chatting about what we're going to do at the weekend. <laughs> that kind of stuff. And I was like, what, what just happened? No idea. Don't <laughs> I just struggled to not un- not understand, but care what was going on. Uh, and also, when when I did try to care, I couldn't see it because the, the screen was yeah. basically black. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. You, you also said a really telling line, which is, this is like watching the filmmakers make it. Everything's very perfunctory and very functional so perfunctory everything was clunkingly obvious like um that last the the finale when four of them just sort of go off on their own and get trapped in this cave blah 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 i said to you there's three guys and one girl what one of those guys is christian slater he's not going to die the girl is not going to die but the other two 
will die. And as soon as I said that, one of the guys got shot in the head. And then I said, okay, the other guy, Stephen Dorff, who sort of tries to have a character in this film, but really is just uh, an extra with loads of lines. Um, I said to you, Stephen Dorff, he's been a bit of a dick to the main character, Christian Slater, this uh, film. I think he's going to have to sacrifice himself and, and blow himself up while the other two escape. As soon as I said that, he yeah. said, oh, my God, the bomb device doesn't work. I'm going to have to stay here and blow it up. Oh, just so Yeah, I mean, it was both predictable and yet not even f- fun to watch it unfold. Um um, there was there's lots of bits and pieces going on, but it's such an artifact of the time as well. There were so many things in it that were what people were doing in rubbishy action films back then. Yeah. There was a lot of bullet time, a lot of post matrix type effects, lots of slow motion people jumping through glass. Yeah, there were actually there were three moments where it sort of like turned into another film for about. Uh, a minute or so one of those was when the camera turned to a gun being held and then the camera Ah, just leapt into the gun barrel which was really bizarre and it turned into sort of like the bond opening uh which was bizarre that came out of nowhere then also that bit where i don't know if you (laughs) were in a coma at this point gary but there was a bit probably some awful uh late 90s uh, sort of uh new metal was playing and it was just the black screen with the flashes of guns going off. Did you notice that bit? I, I recall it, yes. I think it was about an hour ago in real time, but it feels like years ago. <laughs> but the, the the most interesting part, actually, which unfortunately was in the first 10 minutes, was that chasing at the beginning when they were doing a bit of like bad Matrix Kung Fu stuff at the beginning. That was actually it was, it's a shot in the day, there were real sets, there was no bad CGI, and they were actually doing a little bit of Kung Fu. It's like, oh, okay, this could be okay. No, no, that that was it. That You don't get any more of that. I think you're being generous with us thinking it was going to be okay from that point. The wire work was really floaty in Paul. <laughs> it was. Um, he was... Christian Slater was doing things like doing cartwheel kicks from a <laughs> lying prone position. I don't know how you managed to do that. You had to hear that and now I think about it, he was being chased around by a, a big dude with a white vest <gasps> who got shot twice, once in the hunt, and just kept on going. Um, and wouldn't take his glasses off for the entire fight, which really annoyed me. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And that was um, that followed a taxi chase, which was obvious what was going to happen, because the taxi he was in was a completely crappy old car compared to everyone else's. So as soon as you saw it, well, that car's getting wrecked. Yeah. And sure enough, next scene, crash. A lot of that happened. Like, you, you just, yeah, it's exactly what you said. It's like we were watching the filmmakers make it. And so it's sort of like, it's almost like we were on the team and going, all right, shall we, shall we just crash this old 70s taxi now? Yeah. I mean, I remember saying to you, I bet this is filmed in one of those cities which looks like the US but is film uh, is cheap so it's like I bet it's filmed in Canada or Australia. Uh and sure enough we looked it up and it's a lot of Montreal yeah and Ontario various locations around Canada. Yeah. 
cheap, 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 cheap. Um, <laughs> did you write any? Did you write anything down about this film, Gary? Uh, Do you know what? Uh, very, very little. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, this is not really our meme to talk about, but Christian Slater has the curse of the black vest. Yeah. Perhaps you can talk about the. Perhaps you can talk about that. Yeah, Red Letter Media, who often watch terrible films, uh, they've they've come upon this idea that um, whenever you see a black uh, a a male character wearing a black vest, that is a bad sign. It usually means that it's going to be a terrible action film. It goes one step further with them that um, the black vest is often worn by. Uh, a writer, director, actor in one of these terrible, terrible action films. Christian Slater, I'm pretty sure, didn't write or direct this one, so he he's not got the full curse. But he was he did not. He's safe for quite a large section of this film when he yeah. wasn't wearing a bad Matrix style jacket. Yeah, another thing, a key plot point to this film was at some point when a big gold box was opened. Lots of people woke up from a trance. Um, this should have been Christian Slater as well, but he had the bug in him that was going to wake up. But as he told us, I was electrocuted when I was a kid and it must have killed it. <laughs> oh, yeah, he just says it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. When I was electrocuted when I was seven years old, that definitely killed that sleeping snake in something. Yeah. Definitely did it. Just crap. I don't think he even says it. To, like on camera he sort of says it off camera I don't remember him yeah rubbish probably ADR'd probably ADR'd so we, we I'm going to clutch at some straws here and just try to pick up some less bad points about this film um, we did say that it's competently made uh, it's not like one of these films where it is slapped together it you know, everyone's doing their job, basically. It's really the writing that's terrible and some of the acting. But, my God, they are not going beyond their remit, these filmmakers. Like, this, everyone's doing their job, but it's so perfunctory and dull. Yeah, it's like they're on union time. OK, we're finished. Let's go. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Tara Reid is there just sort of getting her lines out and that's about it yeah, um although you notice that when she has to do a bit of science she puts her hair up and put and put some glasses on <laughs> because yes in the classic scooby-doo style oh, yeah so she wears that at the beginning when she's doing science then she visits christian slater in his bizarre 300 foot warehouse dimly lit but also draped with curtains and sort of lots of fabric uh, hideout. Then she takes her hair down and she has sex with him because she can't have sex with him if she's got her hair up and wearing glasses. She, she has to look no, less no, no, frumpy. No. But as soon as she sits down by the computer to do science again, she wears her hair up and puts her glasses back on. Ugh. Yeah, it's so by the numbers. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> uh, it helped. The the one laugh I got out of it was that brilliant. Uh, movie trope they fell into which is where Edward Carnaby invites this guy called Fisher to lunch um, on a um, 
out on a terrace somewhere. So he turns up for lunch. Edward Carnaby shows him some files and then he leaves. So he's invited him to lunch. This lunch has lasted approximately 45 seconds and then he just tears off once he's got his information. It was so rude. <laughs> just nonsense. And also that shot really annoyed me. That 45 second film. <laughs> It did, didn't oh, it? Oh, God, I hate yeah, it. It's this tracking show oh, just going you know around, what? going around. I'm going to start writing these things down and, like, emailing these terrible di- directors. <laughs> it always happens if there's a dodgy bit of boring dialogue where it's just two faces flapping at each other, just, um, just expositioning. The director will try to get a bit of oomph going in this boring scene by just tracking the camera slowly almost imperceptibly across i mean it's just two people talking at a table you don't need to move the goddamn camera along it drives me up the wall i hate it oh yeah and i have a similar thing and uh, i i think i first noticed this when joss whedon pointed it out um which is when you get over over two shot one shot one shot when you've got two characters talking camera's positioned over the shoulder of one and then you flip to the reverse yeah. and then you show both characters together and you just repeat that until your exposition is done <laughs> or your edit and whenever i see it it just leaves. i can see a sonoran on the screen <laughs> the editor just throws down his equipment and storms out of the editing suite i'm not doing this anymore yeah and this happened quite a yeah. lot in this film didn't it these yeah and boring tropes it's just so functional yeah. and without with no joy in it. Yeah. There's no joy in it. There's no excitement in it. And that's what makes me more cross, you know, is that <laughs> so I am actually yeah. quite amused by the fact that listeners, I wasn't annoyed by this film. I mean, obviously it's an annoying film, but um I think this time it has made Gary angry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because uh, I feel like I say this a lot, but I think you've got the premise of something there and you just don't bother following through with it. Well, they've got a whole IP. They've got a whole story yeah, yeah. based on a computer game. So it's not like they're just m- scrabbling together any kind of old story that they can. They've got something there already. This oh, it really annoys me. <laughs> really annoys me. But this happens to a lot of computer-based films. Uh, you know, basically. It does because they are different media, and it, and it's difficult to make both go well. And what is often missed is a good experience in a video game, is because you are uh, you are there in person, experiencing and making the decisions, and you are controlling to some extent the pace and the flow of the game and creating the culture around you with a film, you know, you have got the vision that the director is giving you and that is the experience you have to have. Yes. Yes. You bring stuff to the film with you, but by and large, you are experiencing it as the director intended. And whether that was successful or not is a completely different conversation. Yeah. And this is what makes video game adaptations so difficult because I think a lot of people miss the gap between the player agency, you know, the actions you take, the decisions you do, how you allow the story to f- unfold, particularly in modern games where the choice is expansive and you can't replicate that on film accurately. 
I see, for example, there's um, uh, an uncharted uh, film in production just today. They've released the first shots okay. of it. Um, I don't know if Uncharted means anything to you, Jay, but it's a huge franchise on PlayStation exclusive. And Tom Holland is going to play Nathan Drake. And <clears throat> I see. Yes. Okay. Just to just to let people into my my world view, I I don't play computer games at all, so I don't know anything about them. But I have seen that photograph of Tom Holland uh, standing like that and didn't know what it meant. But I now understand what it means. In yeah. Yeah, and and I haven't read any comments, but I know what everyone is going to be saying is, why isn't it Nathan Fillion? Because that character is Nathan Fillion, basically. They are the same guy. Um, It's a kind of Indiana Jones. and I don't know why I'm heading off into this subject, but I just can tell it's not going to work because they're not going to nail what it is that makes the game experience work. Yeah. I hope I'm wrong. I really, really hope I'm well, wrong. Well, in that case... But the, the vast history, the legacy of video game adaptations going bad is very yes, long. Yes, it is. Even I, who don't play games, know that. But I still don't have any sympathy. You know, in that case, then don't... If you don't have a good story, why is the film being made? Probably for money reasons, but I, it's a bit like... Um, in this film, Alone in the Dark, um, if your CGI is terrible, then don't make a film based on uh, CGI monsters because it's going to be awful. It can only be awful. So I have no sympathy. I mean, making a film is really difficult. So if your story is going to be flawed because it's based on a computer game which doesn't work as as a film... And your main premise are monsters made out of CGI and they look rubbish, then don't make the film. <laughs> yeah, I mean I could have told you this when you before you started optioning the script, <laughs> because I'm that old, I remember Alone in the Dark coming out, and it was about the experience of you stumbling around a mansion as this weird foppy well, guy. Hence the title um, getting a bit scared. Hence the title Alone. In the dark, at no point yeah. was anyone. No characters are alone. <laughs> no, there was, it was lots of people together in the dark. Uh, yeah, rubbish. Yeah, yeah, absolute rubbish. I'm not even going to ask you if you're going to recommend it because that's insulting everyone this time because <laughs> it's absolute trash. Never watch it. Don't even watch it out of, of, of curiosity. Yeah. It's just not <laughs> yeah. don't. awful, awful film. I mean, I should have just listened to the the uh, imdb quote that i read out to begin with um one star completely horrible um yeah what a waste of my time <laughs> and yours uh, and <laughs> and what a waste of an <laughs> evening oh uh, and waste of all yours for listening to this as well oh it's so bad okay well Maybe maybe we've got that wrong. Maybe I didn't understand that. Maybe we've missed the, the the brilliance in the film. So if that's the case, please let us know. Please get in touch on Twitter at We Watch Bad Films. Follow us on Instagram at We Watch Bad Films. And if this podcast is doing anything for you at all, make sure you subscribe and you'll get us get ranting about terrible films every time it's delivered. <laughs> but for now, thanks very much for listening. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Thank <laughs> you.